actually here tonight because my son had uh, plenty of opportunities to visit newborn babies. I visited Jacob when he was first born to us. As often as I can, if at all possible, I zip up to the hospital when babies are born. Um, mostly in our baby fixes. My kids are a little bit bigger now and can't really hold them this way anymore. I learned, however, I learned, however, on those baby visits to schedule them for day two of a newborn baby's life. Because the truth is, day one is not as pretty as a way in a manger makes it out to be. Right? We sing, we just sang that song, Away in a Manger, and you get this beautiful, peaceful picture, right? Little baby Jesus, his eyes open wide, but doesn't cry, right? And Mary and Joseph comfortably sitting there in their in their crystal clean manger. Stable couldn't be anything better, right? Just a peaceful, quiet night. That's not the reality of a newborn birth, is it? I've had two kids. I know that's not what it looks like, right? Usually on day one, the mom is exhausted, and the mom, the last thing she wants to do is have a social conversation with her pastor. So I know it's not a good choice, right? Usually on day one, the new dad is looking for a hospital bed himself because he's dazed and confused and wondering what in the world is going on. And usually on day one, that newborn baby is trying to figure out what's going on in the world, and is usually crying, and, and not the most pleasant to hold on day one. So I avoid day one on making those visits. But by the time it's day three, it's too late. Because on day three, by then, the stress of the new reality for this family has begun. They're often heading home on day three, and, and there's no longer a whole team of people there at the hospital to care for them. And so things get a lot more difficult. Also, day three starts bringing the sleepless nights. Day three starts bringing the colic, and there's nobody there to hand the baby off to. Day three begins the chaos at home as dishes don't do themselves. And so day two is like a perfect sweet spot. you got to visit on day two. And at, at Christmas, right, this whole Advent season at Christmas, we're celebrating the birth of a baby, right? Baby Jesus, God himself, born as a baby. And we know that Jesus' birth was not as perfect and peaceful as a wedding manger makes it out to be. That, that song may not be historically accurate, but I'm okay with maybe glamorizing Jesus' birth a little bit. Because that that day two small window, that sweet spot window of peacefulness, it disappears pretty quickly for Jesus as well. Now, take out your Bibles. Turn, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, page 783 in the Bible you have in front of you. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew's birth story, Matthew's Christmas story, is much more succinct than Luke's. Very brief. In fact, in fact, Jesus' birth is condensed to two verses at the end of chapter 1. Look at chapter 1, verse 24. At, at, at the beginning of this verse, Joseph has just had, had a dream with the angel, and the angel has told him not to chase Mary away because he's pregnant, but to marry her. And so verse 24 says that when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. He did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Okay, there, there, there you go. There's Matthew's version. And for a moment here, we get to ooh and ah over a newborn baby. But that moment is brief. 
Because real life rushes in. Matthew chapter 2, the very first words of the next chapter, begin by saying, after Jesus was born. And the story quickly moves on. And the story quickly turns on. Because opposition to Jesus does not waste any time rearing its ugly head. Okay, we're introduced here in Matthew chapter 2, as we were just a few moments ago, to King Herod. Okay, when Jesus arrived that first Christmas, there was an immediate conflict of two kingdoms, a conflict of two kings that go head to head. And throughout history, whenever two kings face each other, things get really ugly, really fast. If you thought this past election process in November was messy, when two kings face off, it is, it is disastrous. And these two conflicting kings here couldn't be more different from each other. Okay, in one corner over here, you have, you have the current reigning king, King Herod. And King Herod is a man who's willing to do anything, you name it, anything, to hold on to his power. Right, we've talked about King Herod before, so I won't give you all the details, but let me give you a brief refresher in case you forgot who King Herod was. Herod was appointed as king over Israel by the Roman emperor. And the strange thing about that appointment is that Herod wasn't Jewish. And obviously the people of Israel, the Jewish people of Israel, wanted a Jewish king. So Herod was not a rightful king of Israel. And they loathed him from the very moment that he was appointed as their king by Rome. They couldn't stand him. And here's how an appointment like that worked. So, so Rome appointed King Herod to be king over Israel. Well, Rome really didn't care all that much about their distant provinces. All that they cared about is that there was peace in the province, that there wasn't rebellion, and that the tax money kept flowing back to Rome. So Herod's job description was two things. Keep the peace, bring the money. And you can do that any way you want, Rome said. We don't care what you do, we don't care how you do it. Just keep the peace and keep the money coming in. So when Herod was appointed to be king over Israel, he needed, he needed to get control. And he chose to do that through ruthless force. He beat the nation of Israel into submission to him. And from that moment on, he was willing to do whatever it took to maintain his hold, to maintain his power. He would kill off anyone. And there were numerous revolutions and revolts, obviously, while he was king, and he was ruthless. He would put anyone to death who threatened his throne, including his own family. During his reign, Herod the Great killed his wife, killed his brother-in-law, killed his mother-in-law, killed an uncle of his, and killed all three of his sons because he thought they were a threat to his power. Okay, and now, and now, these wise men from the east come to Herod's palace announcing the birth of Jesus. And listen to the message that they speak to Herod in verses 1 and 2 of Matthew chapter 2. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, 
Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They come looking for the one who has been born king of the Jews. And, and look at verse 3. Verse 3 tells us Herod responds. So when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed with all of Jerusalem. All of Jerusalem is disturbed because Herod is disturbed. He's deeply troubled because there's a new king on the scene. And his paranoia kicks in full force because a, a true Jewish king, a king of the Jews, was his greatest fear. Someone who had a legitimate claim to the throne of Israel, that someone who the people of Israel would rally around, was his greatest fear, his greatest threat, even more of a threat than his own king. And what we know now about this new king, about King Jesus in the other corner of this conflict, what we know is that he was exactly the opposite kind of king as Herod. Here you have Herod who rules with relentless violence. On the other hand, you have Jesus who rules with relentless love. Here on this side you have Herod who, who, who rules with selfishness. On the other side you have Jesus who rules with sacrifice. On this side you have Herod who's willing to kill anyone so that he might live. On the other side you have Jesus who's willing to die. So that others might live. These two kings and these two kingdoms couldn't be more different from each other. And so while Jesus is still a little tiny child, the opposition to him and the opposition to his kingdom begins. Let's get down to verse 13. Let's look at verse 13 through 18. Because when they had gone, that's the Magi who came to visit Herod. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. Where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in his vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The story of Jesus' birth turns really ugly, really fast. Herod rises up in bold opposition to this new king. And the collateral damage is all the young boys in Bethlehem. Some traditions have historically set the number of boys in Bethlehem who were put to death. 
That's 10,000. Probably not realistic, but I think we're not going to do this. So it's better to have somewhere between 12 and 20. But even one is too many, isn't it? Can you imagine the sorrow, the hurt of baby boys put to death? Even one child is enough to break the heart of a family, of a city, of a nation. But here, here the opposition to Jesus and his kingdom begins. And that opposition still has not ended. But Herod was only the very ugly beginning. Because when Herod disappeared, another enemy rose up to fight against this coming kingdom and this coming king, Jesus. And that battle isn't over. It keeps being fought. The conflict of these two kingdoms is not done. A steady stream of enemies continues the battle. And as we celebrate Christmas, as we enjoy the sweet spot, right, day two, that's what we're, we're, we're enjoying the sweet spot of new birth, when all is well, when there's joy in the world, when there's quiet and peace. We're celebrating when this helpless little baby takes center stage. As we enjoy this day two sweet spot of the birth of Jesus, we cannot ignore the truth. That this birth begins the greatest battle that is still raging today. Christmas reminds us of the conflict that still continues. And we cannot forget, in the midst of our celebration, in the midst of, of our Christmas peace and joy, we cannot forget that in some areas of this world, the kingdom of Satan is still using Herod's favorite strategy. Right, there's still outright violence opposing Jesus and his kingdom and his followers. True persecution still rages in our world today. Right, they're still trying to hunt down and kill Jesus. They think that, they, that, that if they kill his people, they can kill his spirit. But like Herod, they underestimated the enemy. And, and when they think they've won, They've actually lost because even death cannot take away the life that Jesus gives. They, what they really need to do is they need to read Psalm 2 to get the right perspective on this global, universal conflict. Psalm 2 that asks the question why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up against the rulers, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. The opposition rises against Jesus, against God and his coming kingdom. And what's God's response? Is he afraid? The psalmist goes on to say, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Jesus is king. And they can't change that. God's kingdom and God's king wins this conflict. The opposition, like Herod, may succeed in shedding blood, and they do. 
The opposition, like Herod, may succeed in bringing about tears, in bringing great pain and sorrow. They cannot come to the king. They cannot finish off Jesus. But the opposition to the kingdom of God isn't just far away when persecution is running rampant. Opposition is right here in this community around us. Because you and I, every single one of us, know people in our own lives who are standing in opposition to Jesus. Who are doing battle against Jesus. There are people in your families. There are people who you work with. There are people who you go to school with. They're in your class. They walk the hallways with you. There are people in your neighborhood who live right nearby you. And they're doing all they can to resist the power of God, to resist the Spirit's moving, to resist the grace that is being given to them. Because they want to be king of their own lives. They want that power. They want that authority. They want that freedom away from God. And so they fight against the life that God has to offer them. And they choose to be king of their own kingdoms. Instead of letting God be king. And if we're honest with ourselves here this morning, each one of us would have to admit that the opposition and the conflict isn't just out there in somebody else. The conflict of these two kingdoms rages in your heart and in mine. It rages in our hearts and lives today. Now I guess I many of us here sitting here would beg to differ. Right? We say, not in mine, not in my heart. And maybe you point to, to a baptism in your history. Maybe you point to a profession of faith and say, see? I made my profession of faith. Maybe you point to X number of years of faithfully coming to church. But we need to understand that that, that declaration that was made at our baptism, that declaration that was made at our profession of faith, that that isn't the end of a spiritual battle in your heart and in your life. Instead, it just signals the very start. It signals the beginning of a kingdom battle that rages within you, that rages within me. The same way that, that Jesus' birth at Christmas doesn't signal the end of the battle, does it? It signals the very start. There's a battle going on right now over who is truly king of your heart. There's a battle going on over who truly has control over your daily life and your choices. There's a battle going on right now over which kingdom you and I are living for. And honestly, we're a lot more like Herod than any of us would really like to admit. Because every single one of us stands in opposition to Jesus and to his kingdom. We 
is you and I love our little kingdoms so much that we'll do almost anything to protect them. Right? We love our careers and the success that we have. And we love the financial security that we enjoy. And we love our families, our spouse and our children and our grandchildren. And we love the comfortable lives that we crafted and filled with entertainment and filled with ease. And we love all this stuff so much that we'll do whatever it takes to keep our lives safe. We'll do whatever it takes to protect what is ours, to protect what we love. We will even resist God himself. We will even resist God himself. We will stand in opposition to that rightful king if what he asks of us is too dangerous. If what he asks for us is too costly. If what he asks of us is too risky or too uncomfortable. Just like here. Staying in opposition to Jesus. When God's kingdom conflicts with our own kingdoms, we are not above defending what belongs to us. We are not above battling to keep our spot in the throne of our lives. We are not above <coughs> keeping Jesus away from our kingdom. Christmas signals not just the birth of a king. Christmas is the beginning of a kingdom conflict that's raging today. Within me, within me. And you and I need to choose between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, between truly making Jesus king of our lives or holding on to that throne for ourselves. Christmas, this Joyful time of peace and love should make every single one of us a little bit uncomfortable. Because through Christmas, through the birth of the baby, God demands that you and I make a choice. Will we wholeheartedly side with the purpose of the kingdom of God or will we stand in opposition to him? I know Christmas isn't here yet, and you probably just got your decorations up a week or two ago. But pretty soon you're going to have to take those Christmas decorations down again. Okay? And not too long from now, you're going to have to take down the tree, you're going to have to take down the lights, you're going to have to pack up all the ornaments and the candles and the angels, you're going to have to put them all in a box, you're going to tuck them out in your garage or up in the attic or down in the basement, wherever you store your Christmas stuff for the other 11 months of the year, right? Pretty soon Christmas will be over and it'll be time to get back to real life again. Even as you as you put them away, as this safe sweet spot, as day two, the safe sweet spot of day two of celebrating Jesus' birth, as that window comes to a close, you need to know when you put those boxes away. The battle is just beginning. But now it begins day three in the rest of life. Because of Christmas, opposition arises. Because of Christmas, the conflict continues. And now every single one of us will have to choose which king is going to sit on the throne of our lives. 
Are we going to defend that throne for ourselves, or would we really give it to Jesus? Are we going to claim what's ours and continue to build our comfortable little kingdoms? Or will we care much more about God's kingdom purposes? Are we going to let Jesus be king, or are we going to stay in opposition to him? This Christmas forces us to choose sides in the battle. To choose our kingdom more. Will you choose Jesus? Or will you choose him? Would you pray with me? Father God, Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for this reason to celebrate that we have in this Christmas season. We thank you for the times of, of peace and joy and hope that Christmas brings to our lives. And we pray that we might be able to celebrate that, that sweet spot of Jesus' birth. We look forward to sweet spots this season, Father. Those sweet spots of family and friends being together. We pray for safety of travel that's going to happen. We pray for healing for those who are recovering so that they might be together with us. We thank you so much again for bringing Chris home. That he, Lord, Lord, will be home for the Halloween season. Father, we thank you for the memories of those who can no longer gather with us and the assurances of your grace for their eternity. We just thank you for that sweet spot of family and friends being together. We thank you for that sweet spot of, of celebrating the peace that you bring. Peace around the world. Peace that you bring to our homes. The peace that you bring into our hearts. Father, we thank you for the sweet spot of joy. As we focus on and we celebrate what really matters, your arrival, Jesus, to this earth, the, the start of your salvation plan that wins victory for us now and for eternity, the fulfillment of your promise to rescue us. We thank you, Jesus, for this reason to celebrate. But Father, remind us, even as we experience this sweet spot of Christmas. Remind us to take seriously the conflict that Christmas initiates. And that conflict that's not just out there somewhere around the world far from us, but that conflict that is right here in our own hearts and in our own lives. Remind us, Father, of the spiritual battle that rages within each one of us. Father, many of us sitting here have made the declaration that we are on your side. We have chosen your goodness. We have accepted your grace. We have declared with our mouths and with our hearts that Jesus is Lord and that he is King. And so we thank you so much for your saving grace. We invite you, as we did on that day of our declaration, we invite you to take the throne of our hearts, to take full control of our lives. Father, give us the courage to submit to you as king. Give us the courage to obey you, to follow your lead, to 
say yes to whatever you ask of us. And that might be frightening. It probably will be. To help us to trust you and let you be king. Father, I, I would guess that some of us here this morning are still undecided. We haven't made that declaration of our faith to you. Because we're not certain that we truly want to commit to you. We're not certain that we really want to give up control of our lives. We don't really want to give up our throne. Because we like to sit there. We like to be in control. We like what this world has to offer us. Father, convince and convict us of your great love. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to see the truth. The truth that this world always leaves us empty. And the truth that in your Son, Jesus, we are full. In this life and for eternity. <clears throat> by your Holy Spirit, give us the power to submit, to say yes. And be the throne of our heart for you. Father, we will face opposition because you do. And yet, even in the face of opposition, we know that we experience victory because you do. So we ask again that you would help us to thoroughly celebrate in this sweet spot of Christmas. And we ask that you give us the courage 